0: The one hundred years war, the De Guiscalin period, the popes at Avignon thirteen seventy one. Now that popes in Avignon have been there from thirteen oh nine, but they will be over in thirteen seventy six. So this is the period where we are in the very last stages of having the popes in Avignon. So let's see what was happening in thirteen seventy one. Three decades earlier, when Edward III had only just embarked on his great adventure in France, Pope Benedict XII, the shrewdest of the Avignon popes, had warned him in prophetic tones of its ultimate outcome. The king of France, he said, was fighting in his own country, surrounded by his own people. He could lose many battles without losing the war, suffer huge casualties, and yet recover. But Edward, fighting with expeditionary armies in a foreign land, could win fight after fight and yet ultimately lose everything he had in France. Like all the Avignon popes, Benedict had been bound to France by strong ties of sentiment, political calculation, and financial interest. But there was also a more disinterested reason for the attention which they paid to the Anglo-French war. In spite of the manifest sympathy of the Avignon popes for France, the papacy remained the only organization with the international prestige to organize an actual major peace initiative. The 1370s was the last period of European history in which the papacy was to play this role. When the war reopened in 1369, the reigning pope was Urban V. Urban had been elected in Avignon, but he had returned to Italy in June of 1367, accompanied by some of the cardinals and a skeleton administration. The experiment had failed for a number of reasons, persistent war between the major cities and the papal state, and growing threat from Bernabo Visconti, the ambitious despot of Milan in the poverty and anarchy of Rome and Viterbo, where Urban resided. These factors might have driven him from Italy even if the Anglo-French war had not suddenly reignited in his absence, but when he did finally announce his intentions of returning to France, well-informed contemporaries believed that the main reason for his decision was a genuine desire to reconcile Edward III and Charles V, in a naive belief that he could do it. The French government, which had been unspeakably dismayed by Urban's departure, had done its best to dissuade him, was overjoyed. They sent a fleet of galleys to escort him back across the Mediterranean to Marseille. At the end of September 1370, while Robert Knowles was burning villages along the road south of Paris and the Prince of Wales was returning from the destruction of Limoges, Urban V entered Avignon. As soon as he arrived, he began a plan, a fresh round of peacemaking. He wrote to the two kings. He selected his mediators, but he got no further with his task. The voyage had broken his already delicate health. He fell ill in November and died December the 19th, 1370. Urban's successor, elected on December the 30th, 1370, was Pierre Roger II de Beaufort, who took the name Gregory Eleventh. Gregory was a nephew of the earlier Pierre Roger, who had been councillor of France before reigning for ten years as Pope Clement Sixth from thirteen forty two to fifty two the new pope had much in common with clement intelligent cultivated charming he impressed even his enemies by his princely manner the chancellor of florence salutati no friend of the papacy called him cautious and wise modest devout charitable charming and which is fitting in such a magnificent ruler completely trustworthy and reliable these genial qualities were attested by others and gregory undoubtedly possessed them but they did not prevent him from being a determined politician and a shrewd diplomat gregory's political life was dominated by two great obsessions The first was unwavering ambition to take the papacy back to rome as his predecessor had tried and failed to do to this end he needed to consolidate the papal power in central italy and to defend it against the expansive dictatorship of the visconti lords of milan and later against the self-governing cities of his own dominion this meant in his time the budget of the papacy was largely committed to the prosecution of a succession of expensive wars in italy gregory's second obsession was his family the Rogets had once more been a minor noble family from a region of bas limousine more or less corresponding with the modern department of Corrèze. Their rapid descent in the middle years of the 14th century was entirely due to the patronage of Pierre Roger I when he was Chancellor of France and at Avignon once he became Pope. In 1350, in one of the more spectacular property transactions of the period, Clement arranged for his nephew Gregory the Eleventh's older brother to purchase the Visconti of Turin from the bankrupt house of Caminses. Turin was the richest, most powerful lordship of Bas Limousine. It included the great fortress of Turin itself, numerous subsidiary forts, castles, and manors, and vast domains extending from the from Brie on the River Perez to Belu on the Dordogne. At the time of Gregory's election, Guillaume de Roger, Count de Touraine, was a loyal but inactive vassal of the Prince of Wales. He eventually made his submission to the French crown January 1373. Two of the Pope's younger brothers were determined partisans of the Duke of Anjou. Nicholas de Beaufort, who had been married to the heiress of the great lordship of Lemieux and the Dordogne, he had recently put French garrisons in all of his castles. Roger de Beaufort was one of the captains of the city of Limoges when it was who was captured fighting against the Prince of Wales in September of 1370. These events gave Gregory a more direct emotional interest in the course of the war than any of his predecessors, partly because it suited his political ambitions, partly from personal sentiment and family interest, and partly because of the Francophile mood of the papal court where he had passed his adult life. Gregory was wedded to the interests of France. At his coronation procession in January of 1371, the Pope gave the place of honor to the Duke of Anjou, who held the bridle of his horse. He passed part of the hot Rhone summers in the Duke's mansion at Villeneuve de Avignon. He addressed unsolicited advice to Charles V about the importance of watch duty at his castles. He wrote fulsome letters of congratulation to French commanders on their victories and tipped 200 florins to the messenger who brought him news of an English defeat. Gregory believed, as Urban had done, that he could not leave Avignon while Anglo-French war continued. He also needed political support of France and financial resources of the French church in order to restore his authority in Italy, both of which were bound to be limited while France was torn apart by war. One of the first steps which Gregory took after his coronation was to write to both kings to inform them of Urban V's plan for a peace conference, and to tell them that he had appointed the mediators whom his predecessor had selected before falling ill. He also sent an emissary to sound out Louis of Anjou and Jean of Gaunt in Gascony. The selection of suitable mediators had always proved difficult, but the choice made by Urban and confirmed by Gregory was remarkable. Simone Longham the only english member of the college of cardinals was an austere and independent-minded benedictine who had formerly been archbishop of canterbury and chancellor of england langham's relations with edward the third were poor he seems to have had reservations about edward's foreign policy Edward, for his part, distrusted the papacy and disproved of Langham's promotion to the cardinalate. In spite of his English nationality and official background, Langham's appointment is unlikely to have been welcomed at Westminster. By comparison, the other mediator, Jean Dermont, Cardinal of Beauvais, was extremely close to Charles V. He had been one of his most intimate counsellors when he was Dauphin. He had been prison at the negotiations of the Treaty of Bretigny. He had been Chancellor of France since 1361. He had been involved in all of Charles V's dealings with England and had delivered the opening address at the Assembly of May 1369 in Paris at which the war had been declared. Dormons had been promoted cardinal in the same year as Langham, but unlike Langham he retained his position within Charles V's government after his appointment and stayed in France instead of moving to the papal court. These appointments can only be explained on the footing that the Pope's advisers thought Edward III was shaken by the experience of the last two years of war and was ready to compromise on something like Charles V's terms. If so, it was a serious mistake. Among the English king's ministers, there were undoubtedly some who thought that England would have to surrender some gains made at Bretigny for a durable peace. There is some evidence that they included the leading figures in the government of Gascony. Jean of Gaunt and the Seneschal Sir Thomas Felton, both of whom had struggled to defend Aquitaine without money and welcomed the appointment of mediators. They could see, as the king himself could not, that there was only one direction in which events in the southwest could move. In England, however, the political community still was transfixed on the victories of 1346 and 1356. The reality of Edward III's position in France was little understood. The subsequent course of events suggests that at this stage Charles V was no more willing to compromise than his opponent. Gregory XI's first attempt at peacemaking was doomed to failure before it began. The Cardinal of Canterbury left Avignon on his mission of peace at the end of March 1371 accompanied by his learned secretary, Adam Easton. They met Jean de Morand at Mélun about a month later. Charles V received them graciously in Paris. He assured him that his council was in principle content to negotiate with his adversary, but he made no other commitments. The English government would not f- at first go even this far. Leaving his colleague in Paris, Langham traveled to Calais, where he passed several months trying in vain to obtain a safe conduct pass to visit the English court. It was not until October that he was allowed to cross the Channel and when he arrived it was to receive a humiliating rebuff. The Cardinal made a series of proposals for submitting the dispute with France to arbitration. According to a French chronicler, the Pope himself was suggested as arbiter or a tribunal of Christian monarchs or perhaps a commission of dignitaries recruited equally in both countries. All of this was entirely unrealistic. Edward III would never have put his fortunes in the hand of Gregory XI, whose French sympathies were well known. The idea of arbitration by the Pope was not even acceptable to Charles V. The Pope responded by suggesting another approach, a diplomatic conference, the first of many that was to grapple with the problems of sovereignty and territory during the 1370s and 1380s. This was eventually, and rather grudgingly, agreed to, but the prospects were poor Langham's problem was that all the time he was in England, the strategic situation was particularly fluid. Both governments were planning major campaigns for the year of 1372. At the same time, the geographical range of the fighting seems likely to expand it with both Brittany and Castile being drawn into the war as active belligerents for the first time since 1369. Both sides had strong hopes that the coming year would see drastic changes in their fortune, and were inclined to defer serious negotiation until events had improved their bargaining positions so we're finally in the position we're finished with 1371 and now we're heading into 1372 which of course both sides think is going to be the big change for them so we'll see how that goes since the 100 years war has a ways to go not well now the sources for this 100 years war froissart's chronicles by froissart The Hundred Years War by Perrois, The Hundred Years War by Nylans, and The Hundred Years War Volume 3, House Divided by Sumption. So I hope you enjoyed that, and as always, don't forget to come by the website, sumahistorica.com or historyaccordingtobob.com, and ask a question, leave a comment, check out our merchandise, and if you like what we're doing, please feel free to support us. Thank you very much.